0: Well, good morning again. Uh, since Easter, we have uh, been in a series of sermons on the Minor Prophets. We've looked at one of them uh, each week, uh, and this week we're going to look at the last of them. Uh, Malachi is probably the latest of the Minor Prophets, and his book is the last book in the Old Testament. So we're going to look at several parts of the book or talk about them together, but let me read the part that we're going to look at most closely. I'm going to read Malachi 3.13-4.3. through 4, 3. It's printed in your order of worship. You can follow along there or in a Bible, or you can just listen as I read from Malachi 3 and 4. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. And you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on that day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. This is God's word, and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask now what we always ask, and that is that you would be happy to meet us wherever we find ourselves this morning. That you'd be happy to use this word that we have read and heard together that we're going to talk about for a little bit together to lead us to the word that bears our flesh. Lead us to Jesus, the final, perfect, most beautiful word and show us his grace and change us by it. Meet those of us who are here and hungry and thirsty and ready. Meet those of us here this morning who don't even know why we're here. Meet those of us who have faith and those of us who don't. Meet us where we are and show us the grace of Jesus. And we pray it in his name. Amen. Well, in uh, September of 2017, Vanity Fair published an article by Rich Cohen. And it was called, Why Generation X Might Be Our Last Best Hope. Uh, for what it's worth, I don't think he made a very convincing case for his thesis, and to be honest, I don't even know if he was trying to be serious in his thesis, but there was a lot in that article to chew on if you're interested in uh, generational stuff and how it affects our workplaces and relationships and culture. So here's how Rich Cohen described my generation, Generation X, the last generation, he says, that knows how to fold a newspaper and take a joke. All right? This is how he described us. He says, My generation turned out, quote, like Humphrey Bogart in Casablanca. We've seen everything and grown tired of history and all the fighting, and so we have opened our own little joint at the edge of the desert. The last outpost in a world gone mad, the last light in the last saloon, on the darkest night of the year, cynical, wised up, and sane. We had seen what had become of the big projects of the boomers as that earlier generation had seen what had become of all of the big social projects. As a result, we could not stand to hear the utopian talk of the boomers and we cannot stand to hear the utopian talk of the millennials. We know that most people are rotten to the core, but some are good. Proceed accordingly. If you know me, I want to say if you've heard any of my preaching over the years, then it will not be a surprise to you that there is a lot lot in what I have just read to you that feels true to me. I'm not saying that I'm proud about that, about myself, or that it's a very helpful posture. I'm not even saying that you should find it a compelling way to walk through life. I'm just saying that it is for my generation. It is a product of the shared experiences and shared education and shared history during a particular moment in time. And what it ends up being is that my gut tells me that most organizations, most movements should not be trusted. And then my brain confirms that that's true. It takes about two minutes for me to see through most things or feel like I have seen through most things. Cynicism, disaffection, irony, detachment. This is my generation's security blanket. And I know that I am not alone. I know that there are many of us here this morning who share that outlook, either directly or indirectly. Even if you don't walk through life the way that I and my cohort walk through life, you know someone who does, and you probably love somebody who does. And so here's what I'm asking this morning. Does this help me to follow Jesus, or does it hurt it? What am I supposed to do with this in the flesh and blood of my everyday life? What am I supposed to do with this? And if there is an antidote, what is it? And I asked those questions this morning for one reason, and that reason is this, Malachi. (laughs) Malachi is a withering little pill of a book. It is rough. If you've been with us through any of these sermons on the minor prophets, then you know that rough is not something to be unexpected in the minor prophets, but Malachi has gotten under my skin this week. Malachi wrote and he preached long after God's people had returned from exile. We can't know for sure, but it could have been as many as a hundred years after God's people returned from exile. So all of the initial enthusiasm, all of the initial excitement, all of the initial energy of that utopian social project of reconstruction has not just faded, it is largely now forgotten, especially as the first group of people who returned have begun to die off. The temple had long since been rebuilt. The people had long ago left the everything is new and great way of looking at things and entered into this is just how life is and it's rotten way of looking at things corruption and indifference had crept into the worship into the of the in the temple it had crept crept into the life of the priests injustice against the poor against the sojourner and the stranger had ramped up and with these things A creeping disaffection and cynicism had made its way into the common life of the people, and you can hear it all over the place in Malachi. The book of Malachi is made up of six dialogues with God, and throughout these dialogues, God begins them by saying something that is true and important. And each of them continue with the people responding to God with Indifferent questioning. In the first one, this is literally the first one out of the gate. God says, I have loved you. And the people say, how have you loved us? In another, which is about the priests who had become callous in their work and they were just going through the motions and they didn't care and it made the people not care, God says to them, "O oh, priests, you have despised my name. And they respond flippantly, how have we despised your name? God asks the people to return to him. He begs the people to return to him and they say, how do we return to you? God says his people are robbing him in worship by bringing these lame sacrifices and not meeting their obligations and they say, how have we robbed you? And in the passage that we read together, God says, Your words, your words have been hard against me. And they say, How have we spoken against you? Each time, God wants to speak with his people about something that is incredibly important, something that matters, something that is for their good and for their flourishing. He talks to them about his love for them, his fatherhood over them. He talks about this callous worship that's just going through the motions. He talks about their unfaithfulness in marriage, the abandonment of their spouses. He talks about injustice to workers and injustice to sojourners. And each time, they answer with this knowing, sneering, indifferent question. How have you loved us? (laughs) We have seen everything, God. And we've seen right through it. And we're tired. So... (laughs) The book of Malachi is never going to make anyone's list of most inspirational scripture passages. But we need to hear it. People like us need to hear it. It is given for our good. I need to hear it. It is like a mirror to me. It's like looking at myself. And it makes me wonder, what will crack that mirror? (laughs) What will give me something more beautiful to look at? Better to look at? What does faithfulness, what does faithful following of Jesus look like for a people who feel like they can see through everything and who probably rightly know there is not much to be trusted in this world? What is it that allows people like us to believe Not in a utopia that is made with our own hands. Not in a utopia that is crafted after our own image. But to believe in the world remade and in people remade as God intends them to be. What does it take? And that brings us to the part of Malachi that we read together. It starts in verses 13 through 15 of chapter 3. It is the final dialogue of the book and it begins like all of the other dialogues With God saying something important, he says, your words have been hard against me. I don't know what to hear in that. It's almost as if there is a trace of pain in that. God has overheard what they're saying about him. He knows, and their response to knowing that he knows is just as flippant as all the other ones have been. How have we spoken against you, God? And here's the answer that comes. This is what God has heard his people say. They have said, what is the profit of keeping his charge? What is the profit of walking around as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? I mean, just look around, God. Take a look around at this place. We are calling the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put you to the test and you let them escape. The weight of those words is incredibly clear, I think. God's people are saying, what is the point? This whole thing is just completely absurd. It doesn't really matter what we do. We can keep the commandments. We can worship like you told us to worship, and life does not get any better, and people neglect you, and you don't seem to care. In fact, they seem happy and blessed. We have seen, God, through this whole ridiculous, absurd charade. You don't care, God. And neither do we. And before we distance ourselves too much from this, (laughs) I think it would be good to ask if we see ourselves in it. I mean, we may not have said those words, but maybe we have thought those thoughts. God, what is the point of my fidelity What is the point of my chastity? What is the point of my faithfulness to this sexual ethic that you hold your people to? I do what's right, and I'm lonely. God, what's the point of all of this in my work? I don't cut corners. I don't walk all over people. I work incredibly hard. But I cannot catch a break in this place, and that jerk always gets the recognition. God, why do I have to keep loving that friend who keeps hurting me? What is the point of that? Why do I keep doing that? I take the hit again and again and again, and she never changes. And I feel like a doormat. God, what's the point of coming every Sunday to worship? I do what you tell me to do. I'm faithful, but it doesn't seem like you are. It feels like it's been months since I've heard from you. And church, listen to me. Listen the poison of that is not in the questions. The poison is not found in those questions. The Psalms are filled with questions just like that. Those kinds of questions, those kind of questions in the Psalms are a model for us, probing, insistent, painful questions to God about what He is doing in this world and what He's doing in our lives. God invites us to join in the argument with him. But that's the point, church. It is with him. With him. The Psalms ask these kind of questions, these kind of painful, tearful, angry questions with the open and sincere hands of faith. The poison. The poison is in the cynicism The poison is in the resignation. The poison is in the disaffection. The poison is in allowing ourselves to believe the fantasy that we've seen through God and we've got him figured out. The poison is in the quitting. The poison is in the abandonment. The poison is in the detachment and the irony. Opening our own little joint at the edge of the desert where the only thing in the world that I trust is me. That's poison, church, because it's the first sin, the er sin, the primal sin. It's the sin of our first parents in the garden who chose to believe the fantasy that they'd seen through God and he couldn't be trusted and they knew better. That's the poison (laughs) and you and I need healed. That's what Malachi is on and on and on and on about. (laughs) They haven't said these things to God with the open hands of faith. They have said them to one another as they're walking out the door. It is wildly short-sighted but we are pretty much experts At short-sighted. So Malachi lays all of this out there just like he has five times before. And then something strange, something different happens, at least in the context of this book. He breaks out into a narrative all of a sudden. It's the only narrative that exists in the book of Malachi. And here's how it starts in 3.16. It just says, then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. I mean, it's like uh, the prophet has finally broken through to somebody, at least to this group, those who fear the Lord. Now, that phrase occurs a lot in the Old Testament, the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's like a refrain in Scripture, and it's as beautiful as it is easily misunderstood. To fear the Lord does not mean to be terrified of him, like he's going to squash us or something. That's not what scripture means when it talks about fearing the Lord. To fear God is to live life in reference to God. Aware of his faithful presence. To fear God is for me to live my life indexed to God. I fear God when I make his existence the thing around which my life is ordered. And not just when I'm happy. And not just when I'm content. And not just when I'm at peace but also when I am angry and upset and confused. I order my life around him when I feel also resigned and cynical and disaffected. I fear God, we fear God when we consciously live all of our life in reference to God and who he is. In other words, when I open my hands to him as best as I can. And these people get together and they have a talk with each other. <laughs> Malachi doesn't say what they said because it doesn't really matter what they said. The point is not what they said. The point is that they were together saying it. These people had not retreated from God. They had not retreated from one another. They hadn't hold up under the last light in the last saloon on the darkest night of the year, cynical, Wised up and sane. Instead, they had come together. And even though, even though their hearts tended towards that hardness, even though they were inclined as a generation towards that cynicism, they came together. Committed to faithfully living their lives out under the gaze of God. And church, that's the antidote. That's the antidote to the poison. This is the thing that weakens the grip of cynicism. This is the thing that weakens the grip of detachment. It is coming together and remembering like we are doing right now. When people like us come together and we remember what is true and what is real about who God is and we remember what is true and real about who we are and we remember what is true and real about what he has done and what he has promised to do in the future when we remember together the true story of the world and our place in it, it brings freedom to us. And it lets us breathe. And it weakens the delusional fantasy that we like to nurse, that we have seen through God and He can't be trusted. It weakens that fantasy. It makes that the absurd thing. That's why worshiping together like we do every single week is so crucially important. People, please don't kid yourselves. We need to do this together. It needs to be a habit in our lives. We cannot follow Jesus on our own. We were never meant to follow Jesus on our own. He did not call us to follow him by ourselves. Instead, he built something. It's called the church, and he said it's our home. He has built a place for us. So make space in your lives. Make space in your homes for other people who fear the Lord. It is the thing that will weaken the cynicism. And the description of God's response to this is beautiful. He he, <laughs> he paid attention to them. And he heard them. And then... It's like he, he goes off in joy. <laughs> they get memorialized in a book of remembrance. Honestly, I don't even know what that means, but I know that it's gorgeous. Their names get written down in some book of remembrance. And then God says, they're mine. Those people are mine. And they're my treasured possession. And then he reminds them that a day is coming when all of the stuff, when every single thing that they've been asking about, all of their gripes, which are legitimate questions, legitimate beefs, he reminds them there's a day coming when all of that is going to be cared for definitively. You can't see it now, but it's coming. This is the, the day of the Lord that we've seen in just about all of the minor prophets that we have looked at together. A day, Malachi says, burning like an oven. When all of the injustice, all of the corruption, all of the unfaithfulness will be burned away and peace will spread out to the ends of the earth and real justice will be established forever. Yes, their sight is short because that's what humans are good at. We're good at seeing short. We're not good at the long game. That's why we need to come together. Yes, their experience may feel closed off. But God will do what he says he's going to do. He has never failed in that. And for them, for those who fear his name, for us, if that's who we are, God says the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings and you will go forth jumping like calves from the stall. Heartbreakingly beautiful. Malachi knows this is going to happen. He knows that God's people are going to be healed. He knows that they're going to be restored. He knows that it will happen and he doesn't know how, but we do. We do. We know how we're healed. It is by his wounds that we are healed. The incarnation, the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension of our elder brother Jesus is the son of righteousness that rises with healing for us in its wings. For people like you and me, it is the antidote to the poison. And Malachi's commendation of those who fear the Lord is a commendation of faith in Jesus. So let us together fear him, and let us together. Cling to him by faith. Let me pray for us. Father, undo undo what you need to undo. Untie the knots that you need to untie. Give us the antidote to the poison that courses through our veins. The one where we say... We've seen it all, and we've seen through it. And there is nothing to believe or trust. Father, undo that in us. Destroy it in us. Give us the eye of faith to see the sun of righteousness rising with healing in its wings, the healing for us. Father, do that for us, your people. Do that for our good. Do that for the good of the broken world around us. And Father, you know, in the broken world around us all week, we have been bombarded by rhetoric and arguments about families who have been separated. We ask now, Father, that you would keep children safe if they have been separated, that you would bring them back safely to their parents. Father, we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.